Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, episode number 127 for you this week. Your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports. We apologize for the slight hiatus. We hope you had a very, very nice Thanksgiving and a good kickoff to the holiday season. And, uh, oh, by the way, Husker football is no longer. So we'll talk about that for a little bit. Big news morning here today on a Friday. Defensive coordinator Tony White with a restructured contract. He is in for the next two years and getting paid a little bit more, as he should be, because of his defensive unit. We'll talk Nebraska volleyball as they get underway in the NCAA tournament later today, and we will preview Nebraska and Creighton on Sunday at Pinnacle Bank Arena. But before we get into any of that, Connor Clark and Grant Hansen here with you. You can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson, not Hanson. Yep, that hashtag that we're not at on Twitter, it is a E-N, not O-N. Well, maybe we can make it a trending hashtag one of these days. Uh, you can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. So, big news of the morning on Friday, December 1st, which is just wild to think about that it's already December Tony White, a restructured contract in the final two years of his contract. He's making $1.6 million versus the $1 million he was making before. So a pay increase after what was a very successful season for his defense this year, the 3-3-5 that many people were wondering about over the offseason and maybe had their doubts about it or just kind of confused about what it entailed, clearly worked. And that defensive front, the secondary, I mean, all 11 guys in the rotation of about 20-plus guys that played this year was absolutely phenomenal. They were a joy to watch. They got the offense out of a lot of jams, as, yes. as we come to know. Uh, but a very well-deserved pay raise for Tony White. And, of course, the, the silver lining to everything, he's not going anywhere. He's staying right. here, which is something that many Husker fans were, including myself, very nervous about. You had the rumors about potentially going to USC, a couple of other job openings for head coaching jobs. But Tony White is back for next season, for the next two seasons, as we think, with a pay raise. Big big news for, for Nebraska football and, and very good news for Nebraska football to, to kick off the weekend. Yeah, I agree. Uh, look, I, I think you, you really have to sort of enjoy the overall body of work. Uh, and I, I think you could – I think you could sort of tell this might be coming. Just by looking at the, the roster that he has coming back next year, you basically retain everyone on the defensive line. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's huge. All, all your major players are back there. And that is kind of hilarious in and of itself because it being the three three five. I think there was a lot of people who were worried about the defensive line as the, maybe the defense's biggest question mark coming into the year. And they were awesome. They were pretty good. They were really good. So – that is probably your biggest certainty defensively next year because you're going to have to replace Quentin Newsom in the back end. Now, Tommy Hill was playing like an all-Big Ten level guy last maybe like the last month of the year or so. So, I mean, you're, you're going to still probably have him back. I know the transfer portal opens on Monday. Um, it's going to be hellfire on Monday. You would think. <laughs> uh, but this will help Nebraska retain some of those guys. Maybe a guy like Isaac Gifford who's mulling his decision to come back for another year or not. You know, maybe this helps him uh, sort of stick around a little bit longer, right? That mm -hmm. also helps you defensively with recruiting. You're not moving on from your defensive coordinator there. So, you know, obviously this is this is what had to happen. Uh, there was no way that he was 
not going to get a pay raise and stay at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't think that was ever going to happen. And for Tony White, you get to stick around. You get to stay in a place for a couple of years uh, longer or one year or however long you want to be here. We'll probably be having a similar conversation next offseason. I, 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 I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but you, you get a chance to raise your profile a little bit further, right? Mm-hmm. Now Your name is being thrown around with a, a San Diego State job right now, you know, uh, a Syracuse job. Maybe some better jobs come on the market in the next year. You continue to have your defense play at this level. You continue to learn from Matt Rule as a head coach, mm-hmm. uh, and then you can kind of – take your jumping off point when the opportunity better fits you right and you could tell right that was what Matt Rule's very very and again like Matt Rule has been all year he was very very upfront with this whole Tony White business from start to finish um and so you know that was his advice to Tony White was don't take a job that doesn't match the resources mm-hmm. be picky with what you're doing right that's it distilled right I think that's what's happening now well yeah if you have the opportunity to go run a program you you want to make sure that it's a a good program with a, a lot of good people in place like you have here and, and you have a lot of resources and I know you can't just walk into a power five you know coaching job like that I mean it's not that easy but yeah no, another year for Tony White if his defense continues to play like this you mentioned if other jobs come open um, when Texas A&M inevitably fires their next coach maybe I don't right. know sorry that was just kind of a random straight at the Aggies but um it, it, good, good for Tony White. Really happy that he's returning. Uh, I think everybody in in Huskerland is very happy about this. Uh, one of the stats that's on uh, the uh, the press release that Nebraska released about this today: Nebraska scoring defense, eighteen point three points per game. That's their best since two thousand and ten. So over a decade, nearly thirteen years. So that is one of the many stats that is definitely worth the pay raise for Tony White. So he's coming back making $1.6 million, two more years left on his contract, and a huge retention for Nebraska football uh, going into the 2024 season. I know it's only, you know, I guess it's December now. I was about to say November, but a, a long way to go for that. But the offseason starts off with a, a pretty big bang. As the offseason progresses, we will obviously talk quarterback transfer portal, Who's going to be the guy? There's a lot of good quarterbacks. Yeah, I was going to the say, there's a lot of options. A lot of good, a lot of good players in the in the portal right now. So uh, it's it's going to be as, as you mentioned. Portal opens on Monday. It's probably going to be hellfire. There's going to be well, madness going on. I don't know. I I, I honestly don't expect. I think there'll be some departures for Nebraska, um, but I just just the general vibes. Uh, around the media, the media zeitgeist right now, I, I don't think Nebraska is actually going to have a ton of departures. Mm-hmm. I, I think you probably should prepare yourself for someone. Maybe you don't expect a, uh, right. you know, a rerun of, of last year's Ernest Hausman sort of situation. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think Matt Rule has created a bit more loyalty, player loyalty than the previous staff. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Ernest Hausman was on this defense? Would have been pretty That'd good, be really and it would have been good. really good, you know, as as these Luke Reimers, the Nick Henriches move on, you know, to have an Ernest Hasman there waiting in the wings to, you know, because the linebacking core that is a question mark for next year because you'll have yes. you'll have John Bullock potentially, uh, you know, he's got a decision to make, um, but that there's some guys who have been a part of this Nebraska program for a long time, you know, four or five years now that are moving on from that unit that you're going to have to find a way to replace. So that, that could be a portal target. You know, I, I would think you would want to try to find a, an alpha wide out, 
Um, you, mm-hmm. you now look. You like who you've got back there with Malachi Coleman and and Jalen Lloyd. And by the way, I don't even know why. I mean, I get it. Malachi Malachi made some plays down the stretch, but I <laughs> Jalen Lloyd in the last month of the year, I think. You know, he blew the top top off defenses multiple times. You, you see where he can ceiling. go. Yeah. I you almost wonder if Jalen Lloyd should be coming first in that sentence when you mention those two. And you don't even really get to see a whole lot of Jaden Doss who mm-hmm. preserved his red shirt, which is huge, right? Mm-hmm. So you probably like those three that you have, but I think you still want to go find an alpha in that category. And then probably a, obviously a quarterback. So if you get I mean, it could be you know, up to maybe like five guys. I mean, it, I don't, I don't think it's a lot just because of the scholarship crunch they're going to be in right now, and you know that in and of itself that doesn't mean a whole lot because everyone's kind of being compensated pretty similarly because of nil. I, I think the the difference between walk on and scholarship guy uh, is, you know, at least in terms of the financial assistance, minimal at this point. Um, you know, obviously, you, you're getting more money over the top if you're a scholarship and a nil guy, but um, you know, guys are compensated pretty similarly. So it might just be a matter of moving some guys who are on the edge from scholarship to walk on, and then getting them back on the nil deal. But you're going to have to do some roster management in terms of mm-hmm. getting back to that 85 scholarships thing, which was a <laughs> which was a weird, heavy offseason discussion a year ago, and yes. they're going to be in that similar sort of space this year. Well, at least they, you know, have that experience now to kind of go along with that and and see what's out there. Again, and Rule said that he likes guys to stick around, but that doesn't mean he's not going to use the portal. Now he's not going to, you know, raid the portal per se, but he's definitely going to use it, and uh, rightfully so. And so. he said he's not going to run anyone out of town. Either. Yeah, yeah. That was the other big thing. Like he'll be straight with people and say, "Hey, you know, starting. I don't think I, I don't think you'll be starting here for a while." But he's not going to tell anyone to leave. Which is interesting, too, because I think there still is a fraction of the fan base that thinks that Rule ran Casey Thompson out of town. Um, and so that, that that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition that's there. That's a whole discussion for, I think, another day. But the, the whole, like, okay, what would happen if we still had Casey Thompson here? Yada, oh, yeah, yada, that'll, yada. Be, like, that'll be a five- to ten-year discussion. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Our discussion. Well, what could have been in the season of 2023 yeah. if we had Casey Thompson? But anyway, uh, it's going to be a big offseason. Big next couple of weeks. Um, winter break is for us is probably going to be uh, pretty portal-heavy um, and, and b-ball-heavy and potentially volleyball-heavy, uh, depending on how far they go. So uh, speaking of volleyball, the NCAA tournament – is already started, but it starts for Nebraska tonight at 7 o'clock. They play LIU, and I'm going to be completely honest with you here. I don't know what that stands for. Long Island, sorry. Sharks. There we go. Oh, the Sharks. Nice. Um, so Nebraska, Long Island, and then the game before that at 4.30 over at the Bob is Delaware and the 8-seed Missouri out of their brackets. So that's what's going on tonight. Some uh, second-round matchups that are already set uh, in Nebraska's quadrant. Number five, Georgia Tech, and number four, Florida. Baylor and number two, Kentucky. In the bottom left, it's number two, Louisville and Western Michigan. That's the only game that's set there. In the bottom right, the only game that's set is number two, Texas, and number seven, SMU. And then in the quadrant right across from Nebraska, there are already four second-round matchups. All all four of them are set. Uh, Number two, or excuse me, number one, Wisconsin against Miami. Number five, Penn State against number four, Kansas. Number three, Purdue against number six, Marquette. 
and Hawaii against number two, Oregon. A lot of good matchups in that quadrant of the bracket for the second round. But Nebraska 28-1, the number one overall seed. They cleaned up almost a clean sweep of, you know, Big Ten, whatever you want to call it, of the year awards. Uh, John Cook, coach of the year, obviously rightfully so. Um, You had Bergen Riley was the setter of the year. Um, Harper Murray won, help me out here, I think. Freshman. Thank you. Um, And so – I mean, after going 28-1, John Cook was was on the big show the other day on Big Ten Network with Dave Revson, and it was just kind of funny because he asked him, how did you do this with all this youth on this team? And then John Cook's answer was, well, we just kind of added up all of the players' playing experience in volleyball, so to them they were 137 years old. <laughs> so that's how they got to 28-1. So. That's uh, kind of one of the mind games that John Cook liked to play. But obviously a fantastic season for them. Really the the big slip-up, obviously, is the loss at Wisconsin getting swept. It just kind of looked like they were put all out of sorts. And Wisconsin's obviously a really, really good team and, and tough to play them at, at their barn over there. But uh, a chance for them to try and get back to the national championship. Last year was a disappointing ending, obviously, um, with Oregon in the Sweet 16. So a lot of people think that this is a team that can – Go take it, and you know why not? They've done it all year, and and now's the time. Yeah, and you know if you're a Nebraska fan, you probably breathe a sigh of relief that Nebraska won't play Wisconsin until the national mm-hmm. championship game. So there's that. Uh, and Wisconsin, by the way, they're in a murderer's row of a region. Yeah. You know, you, I think Nebraska has some amount of breaks. And you say that now, but uh, like that Florida, Georgia Tech, Baylor, Kentucky. You know, Arkansas is yet to get out of there. But, like, this is sort of – I hate to say it's kind of more of an unexperienced division, which you get that, right? As the number one overall seed, you're going to get the best of the four. Right. But, I mean, Wisconsin has to go up against Penn State, uh, who they've lost to earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Purdue, who they lost to earlier this year. Oregon. That Oregon team is the team Nebraska lost to last year in the Sweet 16. They're very, very talented, and they're the two seed. So this is a really, really tough, tough regional that they're in. Uh, and so I'll be very impressed um, with Wisconsin once they get out of this, because I think they are going to. Um, this is this is just – they will be very, very tested. Now, obviously, they don't have to play all of these teams, right? They have to go through Penn State or Kansas to get um, – and, of course, Miami. They'll play Miami tonight at 7. But they have to get through those two teams to get to the Elite Eight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, where they'll face one of Purdue, Marquette, Hawaii, or Oregon. And that, that'll be tough. On the other side, uh, Texas and Stanford are in the same regional. So that could make for a fantastic regional final mm-hmm. Elite Eight matchup. Louisville's a two-seed this year. That's another team to watch. Again, just a lot of Final Four experience. And then they're in the same side of the regional as Pitt. So that could be another fantastic Elite Eight matchup. So, again, there's a lot to to like about Nebraska's draw. Uh, Again, the fact that you're playing either Louisville or Pitt if you make it to the Final Four, more than likely. Washington State and Creighton, by the way, are on that same side of the bracket. Um, A lot of Nebraska representation in this bracket. UNO is in there as well. Yeah, and they just lost last night. They got swept by Kansas. Uh, But, yeah, this this is fascinating. And, again, you know, for – those of you who know me, I am a whip around coverage fan. Love that. Uh, and I think I'm trying to remember what ESPN's whip around coverage for this is called. 
Um, but they have there is uh, bump set spike. I don't know. No, uh, it there. is. I want to say it's either at the net or the fifth That's, set. I think. Um, I think it's at the net. That sounds right. But yeah, I'm looking at it right now on who. Either way, it's whip around coverage of everything going on tonight and tomorrow. Um, and it's really, really solid. Again, it's just like Red Zone, basically. You're looking in on live coverage of some of these events. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. So, anyway, that is uh, that is all of my thoughts there on the bracket. Uh, you you know, we'll, we'll see. Nebraska's going to have the home court advantage for mm-hmm. the rest of the regional. So, that's obviously incredibly valuable. And that's not something they've had the last couple of years. Yes, and if Nebraska does win tonight, which many expect that they will. Uh, it's the fifth set, by the way. I found it. Okay. Um, next game will be tomorrow night at 7 o'clock at the Bob Devaney Center. If Nebraska wins, they will play the winner of Delaware and the eight seed, the Missouri Tigers. So should be a fun bracket. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of really good second-round matchups already in place. Um, this is going to be a fun tournament to Definitely keep an eye on, as it always is. But as somebody who really never watched volleyball before coming here and now is kind of into this whole December madness thing, I guess that's what I'll call it. Um, it it's fun. It's fun to watch. And it's it's a good thing that the entire fan base in the state can rally around here as uh, we get into the winter months. So, speaking of things that people are rallying around into the winter months, this is... Nebraska Creighton, that is. And I'm going to ask you this because you've been here your whole life. This is the biggest Nebraska basketball game since? Oh, man. I'd have to probably go back to – it's tough because I don't want to pass that Kansas game in 2018. Are you talking a home game? Uh, Just, yeah. Well. In your estimation. I mean, no sit Sunday is probably up there. Uh the 2014 game against Oregon in the tournament is probably up there. Uh, this is it's hard to really put it into full context just because this is Nebraska's chance they're they've done the they've done they've scheduled the right way. They've scheduled the right way. Uh they've gotten now they've taken care of business in those games. Mhm. And now it's their chance to say, "Okay, we've taken care of the people we're supposed to beat. Those wins are valuable and will be valuable later on." Now it's time to beat a ranked opponent, mm-hmm. right? Uh, someone that was preseason top 10 that uh, you beat last year. So in some ways, the pressure is kind of on you again for the first for the first time in really in a while. So, yeah, this will be this will be fascinating. And I again, I like I said, it's hard for me to really put a, a specific biggest game since on it but it's definitely the biggest game of the last five years I think I, I think you can say that pretty definitively yeah that Kansas game was fun I remember watching that the atmosphere was great um maybe not many people like Spieth McKay Luke after that game but hey you know you live and you learn no sit Sunday obviously iconic this is I think obviously the biggest game of our college careers and it's probably not close but Seven and zero Nebraska, six and one Creighton, number fifteen in the country at three p.m. this Sunday at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Nebraska's first seven and zero start since the ninety two ninety three season, and it's only the fifth ever time Nebraska started seven and zero in program history, which is absolutely wild to me. Um, so that's kind of a crazy stat. 
Creighton's one loss came against Colorado State, who is now ranked, and they just beat Colorado the other night. Um, that came on Thanksgiving. They lost 69 to 48, shot 29% from the field or 28% from the field. Very uncharacteristic for Creighton. And as you mentioned, Nebraska has scheduled accordingly, and they've taken care of business. And now this is the argument that I have with a lot of people. Everybody who watches and maybe isn't like a Nebraska fan but is a Big Ten fan, they keep asking me, okay, well, who have they played? Why does it matter? They haven't really played a real opponent yet. Yeah, they played Oregon State, but they're not very good, let's be honest. I know they're a power conference team. Right. But they dismantled Oregon State at the Sanford Pentagon. Here's my argument to that. There have been times under Fred Hoiberg in multiple years, granted the teams prior to this weren't as good, where they haven't taken care of business against bad teams. You go back to Western Illinois. I was going to say, that's, a, that's the prime example. Yeah, that's that's one that sticks out because you actually had pretty high hopes in that. You lost, I know it was his first year, but you lost a couple of games to teams you really should not have lost to. Um, so that's like, this is kind of uncharted territory. I, I don't want to like, say that because this isn't unexpected like this is Fred Hoiberg said after the Cal State Fullerton game this is where they should be and they're exactly where they are don't apologize for winning I know the last two games the defense hasn't been great that's something that needs to pick up in order for them to have a chance on Sunday I think just because of how high powered this this Creighton offense can be they average 83 a game so that's got to improve the week off I think is huge they did off day Monday off day Wednesday Full practice Tuesday, and then Thursday through Saturday is the full prep for this game. So this is this is the, you know the prove it game. I, I hate to use the cliche, but oh, no, it's a hundred percent. It's the it prove it game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you and if they lose this one, right? Like you, then there's a lot of lot more emphasis put on that Minnesota game. Yes. Right. I I still think the Minnesota game, regardless of result here, is going to be extremely important. Yeah, it's your first true road game. Weird things happen at the barn out in Minneapolis. Oh yeah, too. yeah, and that's not a good team. Like, make no mistake about it. Minnesota is bad, and it's a team you should beat. So you know, Nebraska needs to go there and take care of business again, like they did in the Pentagon. But again, you're not going to have as many people out there supporting you as you did. So. Yeah, that that's something big to watch. You you would expect the atmosphere on Sunday to be elite. Uh, yes. Do we get the red versus blue uniforms? I hope. I hope. I'm not counting on it though. Oh, I that that would be so awesome. I mean, we we've been talking about it all. Every every friend that we have, we've been talking about it. Like, you need the red with the Nebraska script across against Creighton, and they're all blue. It's going to be a red out at PBA. That's what you know. All the accounts have been saying. Um, so atmosphere, I think elite is a good way to describe it. Um, it's it's going to be just that. Just a couple of stat leaders for both teams. Baylor Shireman still leading the team in scoring at 18.6 points per game, shooting 48% from the field. Uh, not really a surprise there with the field goal percentage. I'm kind of surprised he's averaging 18 a game. Though. That's a lot in college. Um, he's also leading the team in rebounds, which is something that's unexpected at seven a game. Yeah. And then Trey Alexander, who's been fantastic this year with 4.4 assists per game. He struggled immensely against Colorado State, just one of 16 from the field, two points. But the entire team struggled to shoot the ball. He's kind of getting back to – I mean, you and I went went to the Creighton-Iowa game up in Omaha with some friends, and mm-hmm. he was – um, unconscious in that game 23 11 and 9 I mean he was a, a shy of a of a triple double um on 
The Nebraska side, ranked Mast, averaging 14.7, leads the team, averaging over 10 rebounds a game. That also leads the team, Jamarcus Lawrence, with just over three assists per game, which leads the team. It's really eye-popping to look at the team stats, and I know the strength of schedule has been a little bit different for both these teams. They both average over 80 points a game. They both allow around 62 points per game. They both shoot the ball around 50%. They both rebound around the number 40. They both have 16.9 assists a game, literally identical. They both average around four, three blocks. Both average around three to four steals a game. It's like insane how statistically similar these two teams are right now. And again, strength of schedule plays into that. Right, but it's just kind of wild. Like that's something I didn't really expect to see when the season began. Well, I, I'm going to look this up. I don't know how much. When the biggest difference in the strength of schedule, I guess, is Creighton played Iowa, and right? Colorado State, and Colorado State. Yeah, Colorado State's a good team. I just, I guess it's what that's two power six. I guess Colorado State. Colorado State's not even power six, but they are a ranked team. They're seven and zero. Oh. It's it's not completely different, I guess. And yeah, I mean, it's undoubtedly better. But I think we can agree that Iowa isn't as good as we thought they were at the beginning of the year. The, the thing to me, there are, two, there are two things that really fascinate me about this game. Um, Ryan Kalkbrenner is not one of them. I, there's some people who, are, who think, well, that, how, how is Nebraska going to defend him? I, I think that's, I think that's pretty settled. Year. I think that's pretty settled. We know how that's going to happen. Nebraska is going to double in the post and try to rotate off. Yes. Um, and, and you I, cannot I, be late on the rotation. Correct. And because Kalkbrenner doesn't really have a, a very heavily used back-to-basket game, I think that's going to work. And, and the problem is you're, you're going to make sure – you got to make sure that you defend him in transition because he runs the four very well. Yes. Uh, and and you're also going to have to be able to defend him on the three-point line because he will be willing to take that, that shot. Now, the thing that does actually intrigue me defensively for Nebraska is how do you defend off of that double in the post? To me, there's been some trouble in the last couple of games rotating and getting decent closeouts, right? And you can tell what they're trying to do with with shooters. They're trying to run shooters off the line. um, And and so that's the thing, though, is like, are, are you putting too much emphasis on that? Because teams have started to exploit that. I thought Duquesne did a good job of exploiting that, and I think Creighton will too. So that that to me is the big thing: is how many open shots are you giving up because your closeouts are a either poor, or you're overcommitting too much um, to try to run guys off that three point line. The second thing that's interesting for me is uh, basically, and I know this is maybe a little bit overbroad, but how does Nebraska perform offensively? Because just in my mind, I don't really get the feel that this Creighton team is very solid defensively. I don't think they are. Uh, so if Nebraska is really struggling to score in this game, that could be definitely be a red flag. Now, the, the flip side of that is that you want this game, I think, if you're Nebraska, to be in the 60s. I, I You do not want to yeah. get in an offensive firepower shootout here with Creighton. You have so, to control the pace of the game, just like they did last year. Correct. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, so, so those are the two things is if, cause if it's a, if it's a rough night for Nebraska offensively against a Creighton group that again, I just, I don't feel like they defend very well. Uh, that that's, that's going to be obviously a, a very big red flag. Um, you know, you wonder which type of Creighton you're going to get to. Is it, is it going to be unconscious Creighton or is it going to be ice cold Creighton? 
because you've you've seen both at points this year, and it's been the problem last year, and you got in the postseason more often than not unconscious Creighton. Um, I think unconscious Creighton shows up more as the year goes on, as you get deeper. Um, but which one are you going to get? And again, again, it's it's going to be so critical that Nebraska rotates very, very well and remains disciplined defensively. I think I'm going to pencil in that you're going to get a really good shooting night from Creighton because it's a rivalry game. I know they didn't shoot well last year against this team, but they're going to like they're going to be ready for it. Like they're they need revenge, and that's usually not the case. I mean, they've won eight out of the last ten meetings now. The overall history of the rivalry is actually a lot more even than recent memory suggests. Creighton only leads at 29-27 all time, um, and obviously Nebraska coming off the win last year. But I think I'm going to pencil in Creighton to shoot the ball well. Um, just kind of brace yourself for the worst-case scenario if you're in Nebraska defensively. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many people really want to dive into the metrics, but I've been looking at Ken Palm actually a lot more this year. And they average just under 118 points per 100 possession, possessions, which is 19th in the country. And they give up 94.5 points per 100 possessions, which is 20th in the country. Now, the strength of schedule argument, too, that we talked about earlier, I wrote a preview for our KFOR site. It was over 120-ish spots higher than Nebraska's, which is a okay. little concerning. Um, and Nebraska's was like literally nearly dead last out of 362 teams. It was like 348th or something like that. So that's not great. But I think the thing I'm worried about with the rotation and the double team, and it worked, it worked well last year. They executed it very well last year, but there will be times when you are going to get a mismatch in not in your favor when, say, you know, you accidentally have a, a Kese rotate and he's one of the guys doubling Kalkbrenner or a Jamarcus Lawrence is accidentally doubling Kalkbrenner, something like that. Uh, also, Frederick King, too. He's been really, really good off the bench for them this year. That's concerning to me, and I agree. If, if this game's a shootout, that's exactly what Creighton wants. I mean, that's right in their wheelhouse. They're called the Let It Fly Jays for a reason. They get up and down really, really fast. They run the floor well. It's led by Kalkbrenner. He runs the rim phenomenally. If this is a shootout, that's not what Nebraska wants and or needs at all. So they need to control the pace of the game, make it kind of a slugfest. And I know that was the identity last year. It seems like the offense this year has more hum to it, but again, factor in the opponents. So that's going to be interesting. I'm wondering what Creighton's defense is going to look like. I, I'm with you. I'm not totally sold on their defense just yet. I've seen a lot of areas where they look vulnerable and they just kind of – like last night, I was watching their game against Oklahoma State, the first half of it, and the way like they do not defend pick and rolls well at all. Like mm-hmm. they don't switch. Somebody's open for a mid range jumper. I know statistically it's the most inefficient shot in basketball right now. Who cares? I mean, you're getting open shots against this Creighton defense. They've not done a good job of defending, and we saw that against Iowa. Do you, a ton. But do you, do you feel like Nebraska uses the pick and roll that much? Well, no. Well, it depends on who's on the floor. I mean, right. you saw it a couple of times in that Duquesne game on that run where they ran identical pick and rolls with Jerron Coleman and Josiah Alec. One time they actually gave it to Alec. The other time, Juwan's defender had to come in and help, and now he has the option to either throw it to Alec on the roll or, boom, you got a wide open three. I think they might try and use that a little bit more just because of, at least in my opinion, just because of how bad Creighton has been on defending that too. 
And if Nebraska can shoot the ball well, I mean, we all know this. If Casey hits his first shot, the place is going to explode. Right. And that's just going to kind of set gonna the tone. Be, that'll be a huge advantage for sure. Like that's – I don't think people realize how big of an effect that has on Pinnacle Bank Arena when Casey makes his first shot or he's making a couple shots and boom, the energy just kind of shoots up. Um, good news for Nebraska offensively, they're only two spots behind Creighton. They're averaging 116 points per 100 possessions. So that's good. Defense is 92nd because um, they're giving up 101, and uh, uh, that's a product of the last two games. Fred Hoiberg said that he's felt like they've kind of lost their edge defensively, yeah, and that, that's exactly yep. why this week is so important um, as well. Rick Mast also said that in a post-game presser. He's just like, offensive rebounds, they've been giving up a ton of them. That's going to be an issue, too, if that starts happening. Can't give Creighton extra possessions. So those are going to be the things that I look out for. I mean, what do you kind of see as the best lineup for this team? Because like, I kind of feel like – the, I think it's probably Tomonago, Williams, Mast, Gary, and then uh, Lawrence. That's my that's my best lineup. The thing that Alec can be really good too. I, it's that's t- hard to kind of piece that together. The thing that's been really interesting to me is that I know that Juwan Gary is more than good enough to start on this team, obviously. Right. But he's been so good in that six-man role. Do you risk he's the team's leading scorer? Yeah, I mean, do you risk like changing that at all? I, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm not. I guess I'm not saying what's the team's best starting lineup. I'm saying what's the best group of five on the floor at any one point. Okay. Um. Then I would I would probably go Mast, Gary, Casey, Williams, and Jamarcus. I think that would be. Yeah, my I five. think that's my group, and I like Alec a lot. I, I do, just, too. Offensively, though, those five that you and I just named, a lot of firepower there. A lot of firepower. And I think the in the, when you go back to the starting lineup conversation, too, I think it's the Alec-Mast kind of one-two punch because Mast is your traditional post player that can shoot the three, which is nice. And then Alec just, <laughs> just kind of flies in out of nowhere for rebounds, and he's just kind of all over the place. He's very physical. He's very athletic. Um, and he just kind of provides another presence. I think him and Mass work extremely well together in the post. So I think that's why they're just kind of in sync like that. Um, I, I think you could see Juwan Gary in the starting lineup at some point this year. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Um, as you said, he's the team's leading scorer. He's averaging 16 and 7. He's playing the best ball of his life. Oh, and, yeah. And it's on, I mean, like, the first game back, which I don't even remember which, what his first game back was. I believe it was it Ryder? No, I think it was, I think it was FAMU. I'll double check. No, it was not FAMU. It was, not, was that before? I'm getting my game. It was one hundred percent not FAMU. Oh, uh, never mind. Ryder was after FAMU. I apologize. Um, I believe then it was Stony Brook. Let me check the game. Yeah, it log. was Stony Brook. Stony Brook. Yeah. Yes, that was the best. Like I, we left that game, and I was like, that's the best game I've ever seen Juwan Gary play, and it's not close. Yeah, he's been. Re- and then he's <laughs> he's been really good. And then he scored. And then he scored twenty against Duquesne. And yeah. like when the, when the team desperately needed him, and like think about the three point shooting too. I mean, he's got in the four games he's played this year, he has multiple three point makes in three, which is that's a that's a big element there, because he actually is fairly athletic. Uh, well, not fairly athletic. He definitely is athletic, and and can get to the rim pretty well. Uh, and so when you add that three point shooting piece in there, that's that's a good that's a good combo. He did struggle from three against Cal State Fullerton. I think it was just kind of an off day. He's shooting 56% from the field right now, which is fantastic. And a lot of the discussion, too, about like 
his shoulder injury from last year kind of forced him to use his other hand, mm-hmm. like which was his dominant hand. But you see how much like arc he gets on his shot now. It's like right. absurd. And I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, how well is that going to work out for him? But clearly, it's. I mean, his shot looks great. Uh, he's you know scoring the ball at will. As you said, he's playing the best ball of his life. He's turned into a really, really prominent piece. And when he when the news broke that he was going to transfer here from Alabama, I was like, oh, that's great because mm-hmm. he brings that winning element. For, Alabama's a great basketball program. And I know that he wasn't like the guy on Alabama, but he knows that culture. He knows how to bring it. Uh, he's been, you know, I think Nick Bach called him a junkyard dog against Duquesne. I mean, he's just kind of that player. He can get you bu- buckets inside. He can get you yeah. buckets outside. He's he can give you really good defense. Um, it'll be interesting to see who he's paired with defensively against Creighton. Um, that's kind of another discussion that we could get into, too. It's just like, I, okay, I, what's that going to look like? The thing that's the most interesting to me about this game, I, I really feel like the pressure's on Nebraska here in this game. I agree. The pressure is 100% on Nebraska. I really wonder what what – what like level of importance or what how much that that factors into this game i'm nervous that there's going to be a lot of obviously there's going to be a lot of excitement at pba i'm nervous that there's going to be a lot of nervous energy in pba i think you're going to be able to feel that from the crowd a little bit because i i agree with you i think the pressure is on nebraska because you're 7 and 0 for the first time in 31 seasons you're playing your in-state rival at your house a lot of expectations coming into this year. You either, I mean, obviously you you love to win the game, right? And I think they have a chance to win the game. You you can't you can't lose by a lot. You can't get run out of the gym. You can't like that is doomsday scenario because right. not only and I know we're previewing Creighton here, but not only is it Creighton, you go to Minnesota, you have Michigan State at home the following week. And then he could go to Kansas State. I mean, these are four really important games. And I, I said in, in this preview that I wrote, and maybe this is a little aggressive, but I said if Nebraska's really serious about making the tournament this year, they got to go 3-1. and one. Maybe that's a little aggressive. but 2-2 two two at a minimum. Yeah. But I think if, if you really want to be serious about this, you got to take care of business against good teams. And I know Minnesota struggled, and they honestly should be six and one. They gave one away to to Mizzou at home. But you, you got to win these games if if you want to make it in March. I think the game that they drop is maybe this one. Obviously, Michigan State hasn't had the start that they've wanted, but they're still a really good team. Yeah, and I, I, you just think back to even two years ago. I mean, Nebraska played Creighton in the Gavit games then. And that Bask that Nebraska team two years ago was not good. No, it was not. And they lost by eight to, well, to a Creighton you, team that ended up, you know. If you remember, Nebraska was down like twenty in the first seven minutes yeah, of the game, their way back and then in. they it was the Kobe Webster show there for a little bit, right? <laughs> if you remember that, and that's why. And this goes back to the atmosphere thing too. If you go back and watch that game, because the full thing's on YouTube. I'm a nerd. I know it's there. The atmosphere for that team was unbelievable. Right. For a team that was one and two or one and one. One and one with a loss to Western Illinois. So you can only imagine what it's going to be like on on Sunday. It's a three o'clock game, so you don't got to get up that early. Just bring the energy. Wear your red, of course. 
and it's going to be this is a game that I've been looking forward to for yeah, a it'll be fun. very very long time. So Nebraska Creighton 3 p.m. on Sunday. There is no spread for it just yet, so I apologize. Can I? Yeah, my, that to you? <laughs> we were talking about that the other night too. I, I think I think it's going to be like three and a half. I think Creighton's favorite. I'm going to go five. I'll go five and a half. Creighton. I, I think, and I you're not the first person who said that. I think five and a half is aggressive. I just think it's. It, I, five and a half, though, in basketball, like, that's two possessions. That's not that much, I yeah. don't think. Uh, th- like, it could very well be, um, a, you know, a three and a half point spread or, or whatever. There's no over-under for it either. So, again, apologize. But it's it's a big game. There's also a, a couple of really big games for the conference tonight as well, which we will run you through here just uh, in a second. The Big 12 Big East Challenge is going on, and that's what we watched last night with Creighton. Uh, Houston and Xavier tonight in Cincinnati. Houston's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Obviously, that the game of the night, UConn at Kansas, four versus five. Kansas is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Students were camping out on Wednesday in the mm-hmm. stadium for that game. I, they're, they're different over there, apparently. I'm on UConn for that one, I think. I think I'm two. Um that's, the game's going to be phenomenal, though. I, I don't know. Hunter Dickinson at home. UConn's always really good. That's it's It will have my attention. Let's just say that. Agreed. <laughs> and then in a, a big game for the Big Ten tonight, and maybe I'm throwing bias out here, Northwestern and Purdue. Yeah, that's interesting. A rerun. Purdue's number one again. They're going to Welsh Shrine Arena again. It's not, in fe- or it's not in February this time. Northwestern's wearing their Gothic uniforms again. They're, like, <laughs> literally, like, trying to replicate <laughs> – Last year, it's so funny. Like, if you go on their Twitter page, it's literally their banner is the picture of Boo Booey celebrating their win over Purdue last year. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. I don't think Northwestern wins. I think Purdue is really, really good this year. I didn't, th- I didn't think that they would be this good, but the resume, I mean, speaks for itself. They have wins over Xavier, who's like whatever. But then they have wins over Gonzaga, Tennessee, and Marquette. Like, they, they sweeped, or sweeped, geez, swept. That Maui Invitational Field, which was a loaded tournament, mm-hmm. may I add. So they're, I, I think they win. They're, they're five and a half point favorites. But um, before we get you out of here, it is conference championship weekend in football, too. Big game tonight, number five, Oregon versus number three, Washington Pac 12 championship. Oregon is a nine and a half point favorite. It's a lot. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a ton. I think Washington covers that all day. Yeah, I Am like. I, I like that too. Am I missing something? Like, I'm, I'm trying to get some odds on that right now. It's really um, interesting. So that that game, like the just the Huskies money line, is plus two seventy right now. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Like they they hey they've already beaten them head to head. I know Oregon's been playing really good football and they barely lost at Washington, but nine and a half. I mean, come on. I, I don't. Maybe maybe the Washington State scare last week. Uh, had a pretty big influence on that. So that's tonight at 7. That's probably one of the best, if not you could make an argument, for the best conference championship game. Yeah. Um, Big 12's close, too. Big 12 at 11 a.m., Oklahoma State and Texas in Arlington at AT AT&T Stadium. Texas is a 15-point favorite in that game. SEC championship Saturday, 3 p.m., number 8, Alabama versus number 1, Georgia, Alabama. For This is kind of weird. It has a chance to cause a lot of chaos if, if they'd like to. Um, the American Championship game, number 22, Tulane and SMU. That is in Nolens, so it's basically a home game for Tulane. 
They are three-point favorites. Big Ten Championship, of course, number two Michigan and number 16 Iowa in Indianapolis, Indiana. Michigan is a 22-point favorite. Will there be 22 points scored in the game? Who knows? And then at the other nightcap is the ACC Championship game, number 14 Louisville and number four Florida State. Florida State's a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and their backup is questionable with a concussion. So that's interesting. Yeah. So they're like they're really running dry there I mean, in that QB room. I, there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, Florida State should get in because of their body of work for the whole year and not because of Travis. Uh, to me, just you can't do it. I, like I, I know the committee is just kind of waiting for them to lose, and that's why they're yeah. at four. But to me, it's like no, that like. <laughs> It is it is not necessarily a I, I don't think the rankings are necessarily a an amalgamation of the best team for the whole year. No, it's not that. It's the best team right now at this moment. And without their star quarterback, Florida State is not that. Like Florida State is I not agree. a top no, four I, team. I absolutely agree. So them being in would be, I think, a disservice. You know, and as much as I hate it, like Texas got screwed. Like the fact that Ohio State is ahead of Texas in these rankings is ridiculous. Like Texas has, in my opinion, obviously a better resume than Ohio State. So they're putting a lot of stock on the OU loss, I think, for Texas. I think that's what that tells me. I just I don't agree with that. Like like Ohio State came a a breath away from losing to Notre Dame. Like and and you know I've been on this for a while. I like yeah. I do not think Ohio State is as good as people think they are. They played Michigan better than I thought they would, to be honest. Yeah, with you. I agree, I'll agree with that. I thought that was going to be a multiple score win for Michigan, but they they gave themselves a chance at the end and fell just a little bit short. But I, yeah, I'm. It's weird. There there's the potential to have like chaos we've never seen before with the CFP this weekend, which is cool. I'm here for it. So, just to get this straight, we're all Oregon fans, Oklahoma State fans, Alabama fans, ew, um, I- Iowa fans, even more ew, and Louisville fans? Definitely to, Louisville. Uh, like, Definitely Louisville. I, I think Louisville will win that game. I really do. They should. Which is so funny because they have Jeff Plummer as their quarterback prior to Purdue. But those are your conference championship games. Should be a, a really fun weekend of football, really fun weekend of Football and Husker Athletics, Nebraska Volleyball tonight. Husker Hoops on Sunday. Nebraska Women's Basketball on Saturday. They host Georgia Tech. That'll be a pretty good game as well. Both of those teams are 5-2, and two, so something to look out for there on Saturday as well. So, before we leave, anything else? No. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the week. Last weekend of true college football. I also so. have a bone to pick with you. You're wearing blue. And it's Creighton Hate Week. I know it's a giant uh, sweatshirt. And I'm two games out of a playoff spot. Well, just saying. It's, it's Creighton Hate Tommy Week. Tommy DeVito Week. There you go. But that will do it for us on episode number 127 of Husker Sports Weekly. We talked Nebraska volleyball. We talked Tony White extension. We talked Nebraska hoops. Hosting Creighton this Sunday going to be a very, very fun weekend. But before, or excuse me, we're going to get out of here. Uh, thanks so much for listening once again for episode number 127. Once again, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson, not Hanson. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. Hopefully, Nebraska comes out on top this weekend on the hardwood, and we'll be here to talk about it next week. But until then, go Big Red.